Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Nuhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. South Sudan's President Salva Kiir appeals for aid to tackle famine. And African women demand land ownership. In economics news, Fitch downgrades South Africa's credit rating to junk status. And in sports news, South Africa fails to qualify for Women's Sevens Rugby World Series. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah sisi has ordered military deployments to protect vital and important infrastructure after Islamic State group bombings hit two churches, killing dozens of people. Two church bombings, one in the city of Tanta and the other in Alexandria, killed 43 people on Sunday. Months after a church was bombed in the capital, Cairo. The Islamic State group has claimed responsibility for all three attacks. In Somalia, at least 15 people have been killed in a huge explosion near the Ministry of Defense headquarters in the capital, Mogadishu. Police say scores more were injured in the car bomb explosion. The Al-Shabaab militant group has claimed responsibility for the attack. Benin's President Patrice Talon has abandoned plans to reduce the presidential mandate from two terms to one after Parliament rejected a draft bill to change the constitution. Talon, who came to power in a peaceful election a year ago, promised to reduce presidential terms from two five-year terms to one six-year term in a bid to reduce what he called presidential complacency in the West African country. Parliament, however, voted down a bill for a referendum to reform the constitution, which included the provision to reduce presidential terms. Talon's effort contrasted with attempts by other rulers in the region, including the Democratic Republic of Congo and Burundi, to extend their mandates. U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says the country's recent airstrikes against a Syrian airbase should be considered as a message to North Korea. U.S. military warships stationed in the eastern Mediterranean fired dozens of 
Tomahawk cruise missiles at Sayrat Air Base near the Syrian city of Homs on Friday, following allegations that the government of President Bashar al-Assad had used chemical weapons on a town in the Idlib province earlier. Earlier, the U.S. sent a Navy strike group towards the Korean peninsula following a meeting between President Donald Trump and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. And finally, the Namibian government has started providing assistance to thousands of people in flood-affected areas in the north of the country. The Prime Minister says the office is supplying tents, food and water to those affected. According to reports, about 27,000 children have been cut off from the outside world. Fricky Vallis reports from the capital, Vintuk. Air transportation by helicopter is also available for emergencies and the Prime Minister promised government assistance to ensure classes can go ahead at schools in the Umasati, Ushama, Uangwena and Zambezi regions are affected by the floods. She says a total of 810 people have been relocated to higher ground. Many people are temporarily displaced, several roads are impassable and crops are underwater. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Monday, April the 10th the 100th day of 2017 with 265 days left in the year the Jewish holiday Passover begins at sunset today now, in our top story, South Sudan President Salva Kiir has appealed to South Sudan citizens to make financial contributions to enable his government to buy food for nearly half of the country's population of 12 million. Channel Africa's James Shimangula has more. South Sudan, Africa's newest nation, is currently engulfed by hunger. Nearly 6 million people... Half of the country's population are hungry and depend on international aid organizations to get food. Never in the history of South Sudan since independence five years ago have its citizens cried loudly that they are hungry. Before independence, South Sudan was blessed with the bumper food production. The country has rich soil. Its fertile land has the potential to produce plenty of food for its population of 12 million, as it did following independence in 2011. But now the land is utterly unproductive due to the endless ethnic fighting. Shameful, though true, the country relies on food imports from its neighbors like Uganda. Hunger pains hover over the vast country like birds of prey hovering over the carcass of dead animals. The hunger pangs are caused by lack of food, unlike the carcass which is usually in sight when vultures circle their dead prey. The poor people of South Sudan have no place to circle. They continue to sleep and wake up without food due to prolonged lack of food. 
Perhaps it is for this reason that the President of South Sudan, Salva Kiir, decided to make an appeal to South Sudan citizens to make financial contributions to buy food for the hungry people. Speaking to his people through the country's information minister, Michael McQuay, President Salva Kiir used a common saying in his passionate appeal. Charity begins at home. I appeal to every South Sudanese citizen to show the rest of the world our concern, our local effort and commitment to help famine-affected children, mothers, and the elderly by making financial contributions. Parts of our states are struck by a combination of factors that have affected agriculture and, hence, food insecurity in our country. In addition to drought and flooding, physical insecurity due to the meaningless rebellion in our country has caused serious shortages of crop production. The appeal by President Salva Kiir for financial contributions to buy food for the hungry people of his country comes at a time when they are eagerly waiting for him to announce a date for the holding of a national dialogue to end ethnic fighting which has forced thousands of people to flee the country and seek refuge in neighboring nations leaving their farms bare. The committee responsible for organizing the holding of the national dialogue is led by Odevo Carroll, who says the president has not officially communicated to him about the date that the national dialogue is to be held. We have always been hearing from the president and that the national dialogue Arrangements are underway. Arrangements are underway. Our names have been announced, but we have not been called by the president to be sworn in as members of the committee. And, and therefore, I'm still waiting to hear when this will take place. That was Odevo Okero, the man heading a committee responsible for organizing the holding of South Sudan in national dialogue. But to presidential spokesman Ateni Wekateng, says the government has no money to organize the national dialogue. The money have not yet been put in place by the Minister of Finance for the national dialogue. Abraham Awolich, an independent Juba-based political analyst, briefly spotlights on the national dialogue and concludes that the process of organizing it is rather complex. It's going to be a laborious process. That is why we think that it should be done so that we can take time to put all these things in place. The people of South Sudan are waiting. This is something that they think could uh, rescue the country and, uh, and end the crisis the country is undergoing right now. South Sudan political analyst Abraham Awolich commenting on the delayed holding of the national dialogue, which was to take place at the beginning of last month, and has not been held due to financial problems in a country where 6 million of the 12 million hungry citizens are crying daily for food, food that is not in sight. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. In the year 2000, when the violent land grab started, a group of 300 black Zimbabweans took over Arnold Farm in the heart of gold-rich Mazowe, 
catchment area north of the capital, Harare. However, after more than 15 years of occupation of the farm, President Robert Mugabe's wife, Grace, allegedly began illegally evicting the new settlers without following the law. High court orders have been obtained stopping the evictions, but Grace appears to be adamant and resumed the farm evictions early this year, resulting in yet another interdict. Simon Machema reports from Harare. Land has always been the main reason for the war of liberation in Zimbabwe, resulting in the attainment of independence in 1980. From 1980 to 1990, the then Lancaster House constitution restricted the black majority from taking over land as the law said land could only be surrendered on a willing buyer, willing seller basis. However, in 2000, a fresh land revolution started leading to land grab throughout the country, rendering 4,000 minority white farmers landless. As such, the lawless land reform saw only 300 families occupy Arnold Farm in Mazowe near Grace Mugabe's empire in Omega Farm. For years, the neighbors stayed peacefully and in harmony until the first family became greedy and evicted Arnold Farm occupants in 2005, resulting in a high court order being sought to stop the illegal actions. However, Grace Mugabe was in contempt of court again and started evicting Arnold Farm occupants in February this year, such that the 150 families left there had their homes burned, livestock stolen, children restricted from attending school. Over the weekend, Channel Africa caught up with the affected farm occupants who narrated a sad story of state abuse. Innocent Dube, spokesperson of the 150 families, explained. There is a lot of problem. The police are just demolishing. They are not even following the court orders. They are just saying we don't follow the papers from the high court. But we went to their um, boss, which is Pindura, the dispo, district police officer. We showed him our court orders. He had to stamp that court order, saying, no, go and stay well. Not knowing that it was only disguise. The police are still demolishing up to now. We didn't know that our government were using us as a tool to invade white farmers farms uh, for them later on to come and occupy those farms and throwing us in in, in in such situations despite a high court order on the 29th of march this year stopping the evictions grace mugabe is alleged to have intensified the abuse the students since they started demolishing on the 20th up to the closing day they were no more going to school but the situation was so tense Definitely they are not hiding. They are saying the first family, Grace Mugabe, is the one to do, who is taking the farm. Because they want, she wants to expand her empire in Mazowe. Dube accuses the first family of acting unconstitutionally. The poor are being seen as nothing. It's, the rule of law is only applies to the rich. That's only what I'm saying. Because looking back now, I am seeing that Mugabe and his family are the right owners of this country they are taking this country as their theirs it's their own family because they do as they like yet the president is the one who signed the law the constitution of this country is not being followed mariana mateo had this to say today i am very sick my children are confused we have no peace at all 
Neniu ndichirarama Ndichitu okurima I mi farmer Because Mugabe told us To occupy these farms but today they are evicting us, destroying our property, and we have nowhere to go. During the interview, Rosemary Masiwa received calls to the fact that houses were being burnt down right now, while it is our it's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now let's go back in time to today in 1993. South African Communist Party Secretary General Chris Haney was shot in killed in the driveway of his Boxburg home. Soon after, Janusz Walus, a Polish immigrant, was arrested in connection with the murder. This was today in history in the year 1993. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. South Africa's ruling ANC head of economic transformation, Ino Kodongwana, has admitted that South Africa could be on the verge of a recession. Kodongwana was briefing the media on the economic transformation discussion documents in Johannesburg on Sunday. This follows President Jacob Zuma's recent cabinet reshuffle and the country's two credit ratings to junk status. Debo Mokobo has more. The ANC says the country's downgrade by two international rating agencies, Fitch and Standard & Poor, means that South Africans will have to pull together to overcome their economic problems. Their party's head of economic transformation is Sino Korongwana. Among the various actions that we must take, we need a renewed focus on growth-enhancing policies that are required to reverse South Africa's economic fortunes. Convene an economic roundtable with all key stakeholders to discuss substantial issues affecting the economy, 
improved efforts to reform the governance of state-owned enterprises, in particular streamline the process of appointing CEOs and boards and clarifying accountability lines while indicating that merit-based appointments and transparent performance regimes are not negotiable. Kodongwan has acknowledged that the downgrades will have a major impact on the country's ability to get credit to fund its development programs. He says the government has to work with all social partners, including business, labor and civil society, to boost investor confidence. A deterioration in South Africa's credit rating will have a major negative impact on our country's ability to raise debt funding to fund its development program. This is particularly critical given the low levels of domestic savings. The ANC needs to mobilize collective action by all South Africans in the private sector, labor and government to do everything necessary to bring the country back to investment grade. And with some in government critical of the rating agency's decision saying their decisions border on political interference, Minister of Rural Development and Land Reform Kukil Quinti says instead of pointing fingers, government should be concerned about getting out of the junk status and avoid another downgrade by Moody's in days to come. Nobody can therefore think that this thing is fair. It's not fair, but that's not the point. The point is, as government of South Africa, how do we get ourselves out of the junk status we're in now? Secondly, how do we prevent Moody's coming in and do exactly the same thing? That decision, it is not something that we are in control of. And it is not something that when it happens, we go out there and shout about it and shout against them, etc. Because we are part of the world economy and the world economy is dominated by capitalism. And these are some of the institutions of capitalism. South Africa is an open economy because we are a capitalist economy. These things will be there. But the question is how we as politicians and government in particular, how we position ourselves in such a way that we avoid these things happening. Minister Nguinti also said they need political courage to implement party policies, insisting that there must be consequences for those who fail to toe the party line when it comes to policy implementation in government. I am Tebo Mokobo in Johannesburg. South Africa's State Security Minister and ANC National Working Committee member David Mashlobo has accused rating agencies of trying to force a regime change in South Africa through the junk status downgrade. Mashlobo was addressing ANC structures in Mangawong in the aftermath of an anti-Zuma protest followed by the junk status downgrade by Standard & Poor's and Fitch rating agencies. Palisamieti has more. State Security Minister David Mashlobo says a fourth industrial revolution is heading for Africa because of its mineral wealth. He has called for unity within the African National Congress. As a leader of the society, must come together, unite, close ranks, because our unity is actually the center of the unit of our people. Mashlobo says Western imperialists and colonizers are driving the prevailing political and economic climate in the country. He says the junk status downgrade is a sign of the looming industrial revolution. Mashlobo says ANC, like other African liberation movements, is under attack. The only growth point for the next revolution, you call it fourth industrial revolution, it can only happen in Africa. Then they have made a decision that for them to be able to use our continent of Africa, we can form a liberation movement. Mashlobo says the downgrade of the country by rating agencies is serious because they can influence the investors. Rating agencies, comrades, are important, very important, because the investors 
they take a cue from them, whether to invest, whether not. But equally so, rating agencies must not interfere on our political affairs. Why do rating agencies want to make political decisions? Mahlobo says when South Africa joined BRICS, it created enemies in the world. You know, when we formed BRICS, we created enemies. Because we're changing the balance of forces in the world. That we wanted an orderly world where all countries, irrespective of their capital, irrespective of their size, their military strength, we wanted to be treated as the same and be respected as a country. Matlobo says the organization is being tested, but reiterated that it will come out victorious. Palisamuiti in Bloemfontein. South Africa has been hit by a series of downgrades in the last week. Ratings agency Fitch joined Standard & Poor's and downgraded the country's credit status to junk. The agency cited President Jacob Zuma's cabinet reshuffle, which removed Pravin Gordon as finance minister, infighting inside government and the fiscal policy risks as reasons for the decision. Fitch Ratings has also downgraded both the local and foreign currency rating to junk status. For more on the impact of the junk state, the junk status will have on South Africa. We earlier spoke to Lesiba Mutata, Chief Economist at Investment Solutions. Well, it means that the wheels um, of, of rating quality in SA are turning downward. Um, and this could prove very ominous, particularly following Fitch's decision, which pulled with it the 90% of a rand-denominated debt that's issued by the National Treasury. So there will be a few bond indices that South Africa gets excluded from, including those from J.P. Morgan, as they began talking on Friday, that they will be booting essay out of those indices which induces a sell-off by foreigners because within an index they hold a percentage that is related to SA and if they don't have to they'll be selling accordingly that is just from JP Morgan but later on if we do get a downgrade from from uh, from Standard & Poor's it could prove very difficult for even the biggest benchmark uh, bond uh, index like that of Citibank coming under review too. Now, Lesiba, do you think, let's just look back at uh, um, the economic meltdown that the country went through in 2008-2009. Uh, do you think this is this situation is far worse than back then? Well, that's a very interesting question because 08 or 09 was induced from anything that was on the shores of the country. It was not anything that was inward. What we find today is that which we're experiencing is largely inward. It's self-induced, so to speak. So what we need to do now is craft a response that can be done internally, and it can, it can be turned around. So that's, that's the irony of this matter. As dire as it is, because it was us who did it, we can easily reverse it. And that has been my my contribution in this public debate to say when you look at other emerging market countries, um, they've been able to turn around even dire, worse than this outcome that we find ourselves around.
Now, Lasiba, you, you, you mentioned the fact that it can be easily turned around because it is an inward problem. Um, we've seen uh, politicians come out in their numbers to say it can be changed. We can do something before um, the next uh, rating by uh, Moody's that is expected. Well, in, in as, as they said, they're putting us under review and will only uh, come uh, give a... a, a rating uh, in about uh, 90 days which is uh, three months time what can possibly be done just give us pointers of exactly what it is um, the country needs to be done apart from political stability um, to turn this around you know what's top of mind here is state-owned enterprises who has the guarantees worth 500 billion rands in other words the national treasury has committed about 500 billion rands should any one of those state-owned enterprises find financial difficulty. A very tough, admittedly tough, decision will involve this to remove these guarantees to state-owned enterprises and allow those institutions to find their feet in the market. It's a hectic decision in that it will involve a funding crisis for some of them, which could result in bankruptcy. However, I think it needs to be considered in a way that, for example, the largest uh, power utility needs to be protected because we still need that for developmental uh, issues in SA electricity is critical. But I think some of these state-owned enterprises can be left to face a crisis of funding, which will induce consideration of investors coming in, trying to rescue, etc., it will prove a very difficult outcome in SA, but those are the type of things that can be done immediately, which can actually turn this thing around without doubt. Now, I was speaking to one of the economic analysts a couple of days ago, and they, they mentioned two scenarios, that there's two scenarios that are spoken of very highly. I think it's the Korean scenario and I think the Brazilian scenario, if I'm not mistaken, where it took Korea about a year to, to, to get out or, or to get itself out of uh, a, a negative uh, credit rating in terms of uh, uh, the economy. And uh, within that short space of time, everything sort of went back to normal. Do you mm. think South Africa has that capacity um, to do that? Where in that instance, uh, for, uh, looking at Korea, the fact that some business people went as far as um, ensuring that they would deposit their own money from their own mm. wealth into state coffers or into you know banks to ensure that the country gets back to uh, what it had been before um, their credit rating downgrade and, and the financial crunch that they went through yeah so the the, the the South Korean example as you rightly say that some some corporates even retail individuals will bring gold that they've had to, 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 to the coffers of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of the country, it just shows how dire that consequence was. It shows how deep that was. And when we are in SA, in answering whether we've got the ability to do it or not, we are not there. South Africa, as it stands, we still have a fiscal policy level. It means it could still hike taxes. There's no need for a bailout at this point in time from anyone else. It's largely due to our well-capitalized banking system and strong financial uh, sector that helps. 
So can it be done? Absolutely. Does it require tough decisions? Absolutely does. And we just need to see uh, what happens from here on because I took comfort from the conversation that, com- that came from the weekend largely from the ANC, especially from the economic team, who get it. They made scenarios around what it costs a pensioner if you get a downgrade and a sell-off in bank shares, uh, which resonates and speaks to everyone else on the street because we all get impacted as a result. But it requires a toughness. It requires to take unpopular views, which I believe uh, the, new finan- the new finance minister has the wherewithal to carry. Is it as bad as it looks? You know, it could prove that. Here's the scenario. <laughs> if, if we don't respond as a country, um, we, we can become a Colombia. It took them tough years. And there, they had a toxic political system. Remember, the state is fighting the guerrilla wars with drug lords. That continues for decades, and and then it became a real uh, hindrance to progress. And and there was sluggish in their response. They actually did the opposite of what's required, which included hiking taxes and and, and, and limiting uh, foreign investment and all that, which proved to be a longer stretch for them. But as we look at our condition now in SA, there's what we call a fallen angel. A fallen angel is a company or a country that has great prospects of coming back to investment grade if they were to do the right thing. That was Lesiba Mutata, Chief Economist at Investment Solutions, speaking to us earlier. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. In the headlines, Egypt's President Abdul Fattah sisi has declared a three-month state of emergency after two bomb attacks killed more than 40 people at Coptic churches. Benin's President Patrice Talon has abandoned plans to reduce the presidential mandate from two terms to one after Parliament rejected a draft bill to change the constitution. And the South African Communist Party says President Jacob Zuma's address at the Chris Hani Laying ceremony will n- will not change its plea to him to step down. Hani was assassinated at his Boxburg home east of Johannesburg on this day 24 years ago. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Women leaders from sub-Saharan Africa say allowing them access to land, property and funding are sure ways of increasing their participation in Africa's development and their emancipation. The women who met in Cameroon over the weekend say they contribute more than 90% of food consumed in sub-Saharan Africa, yet have limited access to land. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Rural women in Africa contribute 90% of the food produced on the continent, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, the FAO. But their conditions are not the best. Archaic methods of farming, lack of modern farm tools and tractors, and the heavy weight of some bad traditional practices are just some of the ordeals they go through. Veronica Kilimofo is a rural woman who leaves the situation 
Most rural women have the same challenges. Talk of roads, health, land and inheritance. Can you imagine a woman of, let's say, 50 years carrying a bag of around 50 kilograms on the head, crossing a bridge that is not well constructed? I think it's deplorable. You see all with cutlasses and holes. We need tractors. We need harvesters. We need to know what we need. Grace Anon says the problems are culturally entrenched. There's no access to land. There's no heritage because the woman is considered as someone who has to go for marriage and does not need to take the family property to another family. And so the boy child is preferred. The raw woman is not giving the training that will enable her even improve on what she is doing. So her life continues to remain on one spot, no improvement. It is the same situation all over Africa. The representative of the East Africa Rural Women's Network, Simardala Elizabeth, says the problems are just so many. Most of the pressing problems, first of all, we have a culture. Our culture is patriarchal. It is male-dominated and we need to come up with this solution. We find that most of women's work is unappreciated. It's women who are in these farms who are doing, who are doing the tilling, the farming and everything. But at the end of it all, the success is, is taken over by the men because the societies are patriarchal. Again, women don't have access to credit. It. Most of these women, most of us, we don't own land. You find that and again when you go to these financial institutions, the banks, when you want to access credit, they will ask for land titles. And again, you find that most women don't have the titles. So it is a common challenge and we need to get a solution for it. The stories of harmful cultural practices, according to Simardala Elizabeth, who also represented our country Kenya, cuts across countries. Uh, again, most of most of the work is is traditional. Most of us women, we do our kind of work traditionally. We don't have, we've not mechanized the way we do our work. So you find that we use um, what we commonly known as as hose to do our work, and uh, you find that the production is surely is low. The output is low. So we need to come up with a voice that is um, that is convincing to our donors, to our government, so that they can give a helping hand. Her peer from Malawi, Alice Kwanjana, says besides difficult access to loans, climate change is also a hindrance to their activities. Yeah, in Malawi, like in our organization, NASFAM, we promote farming as business. We encourage the smallholder farmers to do farming as business. So for the women to do profitable business, there are a lot of challenges that they face. Like illiteracy levels among the women is, is, is very high. So it's difficult for an illiterate woman to do farming business, to read instructions on most of, most of the agriculture instructions that are in English or they are written. So for an illiterate woman to translate those into his business, it makes he finds problems. Another problem is the culture. Like in some of the areas, women are not women are not expected to stand out in the presence of men. So even as they are doing their farming business, they do it together with men. So with that, they can't express themselves properly and benefit from the services that we offer at our organization. And the same, another problem is climate change. The women have left Cameroon promising to engage in profitable dialogue and advocacy with traditional rulers and national parliaments to tackle their most pressing problems. 
that of access to land to feed the continent. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yawundi. Going back in, t- in time to today, April the 10th in 1652, only a few days after arriving at Table Bay in South Africa on the Domedaris Jan van Riebeck starts building work for a fort. That was today in history in the year 1652. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Malawi authorities have accepted that the multi-million kwacha oil pipeline from Abera in Mozambique to Nsanje in Malawi has flopped. Instead, Malawi authorities have opted for the much-touted Southern African Development Community Project, which is said to be cost-effective. George Mango has more from Blantyre. Malawi authorities cancelled the project due to what they say lack of donor or investor support to finance the project, which was part of the Nsanje inland port of the much-touted Shiri Zambezi waterway. A team of engineers from Qatar and Malawi three years ago completed the first phase of feasibility studies which showed that the project was viable if it comes to saving forex used to import the product. Motorists still feel the project could have saved taxpayers' money if implemented and also help Malawi have adequate fuel supplies. Each and every month, you know, the price of fuel is being going up just because of transportation costs. So with the coming in of the pipeline, we think it's going to reduce, you know, uh, the fuel costs, thereby even the prices of other commodities like the spare parts uh, will not be going up as uh, the way you know things are happening now i have uh, one minibus that is running on the road when we had no fuel it was so much difficult even the business was down but right now when we have the fuel uh, this is a good sign because uh, we are working on our daily endeavors and uh, the business is moving on fine i'm matthew small uh, foreign procurement specialist uh, i think this uh, pipeline is very viable for our economy and uh, actually save a lot on the transport cost that we car especially on the forex uh, transport that we have to spend money pay foreign trade uh, transporters as well senizuka a development economist from the polytechnic of the university of malawi said lilongwe could have been able to export fuel to countries like zambia and uganda who do not have ports and make more forex out of it. This measure might come to reducing the cost even by 60% because 
transportation of oil by pipeline is much 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 cheaper than using the the, the trucks uh, this will also reduce the amount that is going to be spent on fuel so from the economic perspective this is a, a viable project but i think the other costs like uh, uh, the power necessary to uh, uh, drive or to learn the pipes. I think that's, that's another consideration that needs to be taken care of. But I think in terms of the pipelines being connected to Mozambique, Baila, the assumption is that maybe we're going to use the power from Mozambique. And if that is given, I think then the question of power uh, is solved. Recently, Lilongwe, as one way of moving with speed, rehabilitated fuel reserves and established the national oil company, Nokima, ahead of the oil pipeline venture. Former President, the late Bingo Wamutarika, in his quest to make Nsanje a viable inland port as part of the Shiri Zambezi Waterway project, hatched the oil pipeline deal. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. I'm Tabi Solohoku with an economics update. Good morning. Ratings agency Fitch downgraded South Africa's credit rating to sub-investment grade on Friday, saying a recent cabinet reshuffle that saw a respected finance minister dismissed will likely uh, result in a change in economic policy direction. Fitch changed its outlook for South Africa from stable to negative. Fitch's downgrade to... Uh, Double B minus from double B plus on both the foreign and local currency debt follows that of S&P Global Ratings, which also cut South African foreign debt to junk status. Malawian authorities have accepted the multi-million US dollar oil pipeline from Beira to Mozambique in Nsanje in Malawi has flopped. Instead, Malawi has now opted for the much-touted Southern African Development Community Project, which is said to be cost-effective. George Mahango reports in Blintyre. Malawi authorities cancelled the project due to what they say lack of donor or investor support to finance the project, which was part of the Nsanje inland port of the much-touted Shiri Zambezi Waterway. A team of engineers from Qatar and Malawi three years ago, completed the first phase of feasibility studies which showed that the project was viable if it comes to saving forex used to import the product. 
The Zambia Bureau of Standards, ZABS, has seized 19 bales of used underwater, or rather, used underwear. This is in its continued effort to promote the health and safety of consumers in Zambia. ZABS says the Bureau, through its inspectorate department, conducted a market surveillance inspection and discovered bales of used undergarments in some warehouses in the capital, Lusaka. The standard prohibits the importation and sale of used undergarments in the country. A number of oil exploration firms in Kenya have, over the past year, announced plans to withdraw from the country. So far, the only confirmed recoverable crude oil resources are in Tokhana Lokicha Basin, where uh, certain oil and its uh, certain partners uh, have uh, estimated African oil to be at about 750 million barrels. There are expectations that more drilling and testing in other regions can substantially increase the amount of crude oil available in the country. South Africa's Power Utility Board says an investigation into Eskom's acting CEO, Matsela Koko, is underway. This follows uh, reports that Koko was in constant contract with his uh, stepdaughter's business partner days before and after Eskom awarded contracts to their company. Eskom Board's spokesperson, Kulanit Kuma, says that they have 30 days to conclude this investigation. It's an investigation that essentially rests mostly on documents. There's nothing much, in fact, that will actually require him to be suspended. So that also came from, from a legal uh, council that in the nature of the investigation, as it is about uh, the conf- uh, allegations of, the conf- of uh, conflict of interest, do not actually require a suspension. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.75 in South Africa. It's at 10.36 in Botswana, 9.48 in Zambia, 8.0 to the British pound, 9.4 to the euro. Gold, $1.253. Platinum, $1.47 an ounce. Brand crude, $5.5. Three zero cents a barrel. My name is Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour. The fifth installment of the AXA Wheelchair Tennis SA Open is set to electrify the chilly weathers of Johannesburg this week. Top seed Stefan Houdet of France is back to defend his title in the men's singles, while Lucas Tolle has a favorable chance to emulate his 2015 heroics in the quads. Anton Murutwani reports. 
The much-anticipated World Chair Tennis SA Open gets underway this morning at the home of tennis in Ellis Park. However, it's formality for most of the top seeds on the first day, with most facing unseeded players. In the main singles, though, the top seven seed received buys, including Evans Maripa, who is the top-ranked South African. But in the women's singles, not everyone was so lucky. On the world number three, Didier Dilfort of Netherlands and a compatriot, Majolien Beisu, are seeded first and second this week will receive buys. SA Wheelchair Reporter reporting live from Ellis Park in Johannesburg. And in rugby news, the Springbok Sevens women's missed out on a qualification for the World Sevens Series next season as they lost 22-10 to Japan in the final of the qualification competition in Hong Kong. South Africa made a confident start to the knockout stage of the competition as they defeated Papua New Guinea 29-7 in the quarterfinal and then beat Belgium 17-7 in the semis to progress to the final. But that's when the team came unstuck despite scoring the first two tries of the match. Coach Renfred Dazzle says small errors caused them in the final. Yeah, I think it was very disappointed not to qualify. It would just put us, our system in a, in, a, in a better position. But unfortunately, the girls did their best. Uh, I can't fault the effort, but we're still looking at qualifying for the World Cup and qualifying for the, for the Commonwealth. And the girls will deserve a well, well rest for a month now after this. And then we will go back. In football news, newly appointed Confederation of African Football CAF President Ahmed Ahmed has reiterated that the new executive is not happy with the current 12-year television broadcasting deal and they are seriously considering revising it. Ahmed, who beat Issa Hayato by 34 votes to 20 in the CAF elections in Addis Ababa last month, says the $1 billion U.S. dollars deal which, with French-based company Lagardier is not good for African football. So the contract is uh, signed by the, uh, the previous cup. So right now there is a, a court uh, procedure against uh, this contract. We just uh, got elected. I put now the technician people to look after this contract. There are uh, people who are specialized in TV and uh, in marketing to study this case about uh, the contract. We took a, a decision after discussion with the previous uh, General Secretary Isham. Uh, we did that just to protect the Confederation of African Football uh, if there is any wrongdoing. Okay, that is, this is why the previous General Secretary uh, uh, leave the office and we agreed. In Marathon, Kenya's Paul Long Nyangata won the Paris Marathon in a quick time of two hours, six minutes and ten seconds on Sunday. And Purity Riono Ripo, his wife, won the women's race in the new record time of two hours, 20.55 seconds. The men's wheelchair race was won by David Ware of Great Britain. Long Nyangata pulled clear when his compatriot Stephen Chebogut, who started with the best personal best of the field, cracked with 5.7 kilometers left. A 24-year-old Nonyangata, a winner of the Lisbon and Shanghai marathons, beat his personal best by almost a minute. While Nonyangata finished 46 seconds ahead of second place Chebogut, the women's race was much closer. Rio Noripo was chased to his record finish by fellow Kenyans Agnes Basosio, who finished just two seconds behind her, and Flomekna Cheyech finished third, 27 seconds behind the winner.
Finally, Spain's Sergio Garcia captured his first major golf title on Sunday after 73 failed attempts, making a birdie on the first playoff hole to defeat Justin Rose and win the 81st Masters. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, South Sudan's President Salva Kiir appeals for aid to tackle famine and African women demand land ownership. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magaza, and Tutongobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Tribute Birdie in Gobeni with a song titled Makumete.